listening to Venture Church Podcast. For more information, visit www.jointheventure.com. Now, when I was in junior in high school, I finally got this new car that I had been waiting for for so long. I, I'd saved up. My dad had helped me pick it out. Now, it wasn't a new, new car. It was a used car, but it was new to me, and I was pretty excited. Um, it, it was one of those deals where you've been driving down the road, and uh, you just see a car on the side of the road, and there's a for sale sign in the window, so you walk up to it, and you're like, hey, I want your car. And it's like way before Craigslist because, you know, it was like back in the ancient days of the 90s. And so I, I go up, and I ask for this car, and, and we pick it out, and it's awesome. So we pick it up. We pick it up on like a Monday or a Tuesday, and um, we had a buddy who was a mechanic, so we took it into him. It was like, hey, just give it a base, basic once-over and, and a tune-up, and, and we'll pick it up at the end of the week. By Friday... It was ready. Now, I was so excited to have this car because uh, I've talked in the past about how bad my first car was. It was a train wreck. It was a 1981 Mazda 626. There was like, dr- all the seats were completely dry rotted, so if you had asthma, you couldn't ride in my car. And there was like holes ripped in the seat and, and like the, the roof leaked. There was cracks in all the glass. It was terrible. It smelled like dead fish in there. It was terrible. So this one, by comparison, was amazing. Like, it didn't smell like dead fish. And it even had both sun visors. And it was, it was everything you need in a car. So I was really excited. I remember thinking, I'm really going to take care of this car. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to grow old with her. She's going to be my you know, lifelong companion. It's going to be awesome. Little did I know how short-lived that dream would be. So we, we picked up the car Monday or Tuesday. We take it to the mechanic friend. He takes a look at it, gives it a tune-up. By Friday, we pick it up. Now, I don't know if you remember Hurricane Earl. Most people don't. It was this little Category 2 storm, didn't do much. In my hometown, it just rained a whole lot, is what Hurricane Earl calls. You probably don't remember Hurricane Earl. I will never forget Hurricane Earl, because it just so happened that Hurricane Earl came to visit my town the same day that I picked up my car. So I'm driving my car. I pick it up from, from the, the, the mechanic place, and I'm going to go pick up my buddy, and we're going to go to the Friday night football game. And so we're pumped, and so, like... I get in my car, and it's raining cats and dogs, and a few miles down the road from my house, I hit a slick spot in the road and run my brand new car into like a hundred-year-old oak tree. Yeah. Totaled. I've had this car for like two hours. (laughs) I will never forget snapping out of that days. Like, I'm sitting, luckily I was wearing my seatbelt. It was actually a pretty bad wreck. And I was just like, what, what, what? What happened? Totally wasted. Now, this week we're starting a new series called Totally Wasted, and it's not what you think. It's a phrase we use, totally wasted, but it's more like what I just described. You had something completely good, but you made some boneheaded move, or some circumstance beyond your control happened, and that moment and that object and that relationship, that thing, was totally wasted. Have you been there? You've been there, you're like, I had this dream, and yeah, it's not happening anymore. I had this relationship, and I had this opportunity. I had, I don't know if you've experienced it to that degree, but the question is, what do we do when we're totally wasted, either literally or figuratively wasted? More importantly, how does God deal with that? How does he react to us when we've messed up an opportunity or missed a chance or somehow ruin something that he set up to be good, like, 
what does he do about that? More importantly, is there a way out? Another second chance is, at Venture Church, we love to go to the Bible to look for the answers for life's most important questions. And I think we've got a really good one today. The question is, what does God say about us when we've totally wasted ourselves or, or those around us? What does God do about that? What about when I've messed up? Jesus told a story once that shows that same exact story, uh, that same exact question. What does God think when we've messed up or when something is totally wasted? He tells the story in the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is in the New Testament of the Bible. Uh, the Bible is divided into two basic books. I talk about it all the time. Uh, there's the Old Testament, which is God's uh, history of, of the, the Jewish nation and the Israelites and how they went. And, and then the New Testament is this section primarily focused on Jesus and the early church. And so that's where we get a lot of teaching from for Christianity and for the church. The book of Luke, we find, uh, we're going to be in chapter 15 of Luke. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, pick up one before you leave today. We give them away for free. They're kind of the greenish um, paperback Bibles that are all spread out on each row. And so you can take one of those. If there's not one under your seat, just stick around after church for a minute. There'll be one left and just grab it. It's yours. We want to make sure people have Bibles they can read. Um, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 15, picking up in verse 11. And Jesus tells this story about a guy who's totally wasted. It takes place in a section of scripture where Jesus is telling a bunch of stories. He tells, in fact, three stories, and the theme of all three stories is the same. It's the celebration that happens after something that was lost is found. You've done that, right? Lost your keys? Found them! Yay! You know, uh, lost my sandwich? Found it! Yay! Whatever. And uh, you ever lose sandwiches? I lose everything, especially my coffee. I'm just like, where did I put my coffee? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe it's just me. So, but Jesus tells these three stories about things that you lost and then you found. And, and in, in the middle of this whole narrative also lays out probably one of the best themes throughout the whole book of Luke. If you're looking for somewhere to start in reading the Bible, Luke is a good place. Luke is one of the four books that tells the story of Jesus' life and his major teachings. And um, Luke is also one of the, the, the pivotal themes of Luke is the fact that God has love for the outcast and, and the sinner. Like, that's what's in the book of Luke. And so if you feel like a screw-up, like I do, read the book of Luke, and you'll be like, good, God still loves me. It's a good place to start. So we're going we're gonna to pick up there. That's some background. Luke chapter 15. We're going to be in chapter 11, verse 11, and this is how it starts. Jesus tells this story. There once was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, that's just two little sentences, and you might think, okay, that's a good way to start a story. Once upon a time, there was a guy who had two sons. One of the sons was ready to move out, so he asked for his part of the estate. We live in 2014. I want to get in a time machine, and I want to travel back to the first century A.D., okay, when Jesus is teaching. And I want to go to Jewish culture. Because the people who heard this story in that first sentence, they heard layers and layers and layers of drama. That's what they heard. Let me tell you why. Um, the main point is this. There's a uh, historian. His name is Kenneth Bailey. He spent the majority of his life traveling around the Middle East and the Far East and just researching culture and doing uh, anthropology and figuring out how those cultures work together because he wanted to overlay them of the culture of the Bible and see how some things worked out. And so he talks about this same story. He says, for 15 years I've been asking people from Morocco to India, from Turkey to Sudan, about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while his father is still living. It's fair. Go to the source. Ask them what they think about it. The answer has always been emphatically the same. So he asks a series of questions, and the answers are always emphatically the same in that whole Eastern and Middle Eastern region. He says, has anyone ever made such a request in your village? 
like to have your inheritance early before your father has passed away? The emphatic answer is never. Could anyone make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did make that request, what would happen to them? He says the, re the response has been emphatically and across the board, if someone made that request, his father would beat him, of course. <laughs> Why? Because to make that request of your father is to say, dear dad, I wish you were dead. I want my part of the money. You see that? Jesus' audience automatically heard that. Because you just don't ask for your part of the inheritance. Basically, you're saying in essence, dad, you're dead to me. I would rather have the money than to have you alive. Can I have that? In fact, Jewish custom, many sects of Judaism would have even had said, if you did something that disrespectful, your father would have a right to have you stoned by the, the village and city elders. Like, it, it's a punishable by death type crime. Now, we don't get that because we don't respect adults in our culture. But they did. Wouldn't have done it. Um, so as, as, as Jesus opens this story about this man with two sons, and he says, once upon a time there were these two sons, and one of them says, Dad, can I have my part of the inheritance? The audience would have gone, ooh, man, this is a bad story. <laughs> Already, I get where this is going. Um, and so the story goes on. Uh, verse 13. Not long after that, the son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. Now, the story goes deeper here. Not only is he willing to slap his dad in the face and take his money from his father, which, by the way, uh, the, the Jewish law required that the first son receive about two-thirds of the estate. So he's taking almost everything from the family. Not only that, but he's going to pack up and he's going to go to a distant country. He's saying, I'm going to kick the, the dust off of this one-horse town off my feet, and I'm going to go somewhere else. We've all had that itching to go, you know, leave hometown. Most of you probably did leave your hometown. I don't very often meet someone who's actually from Wilmington. You came here at some point. But in this culture, man, this is a culture based on family. It's, a base, it's based on heritage. It's, a base, it's based on the homestead. And he's leaving. And then the next part of verse 13 really puts the nail in the coffin. He says, and there, in this distant country, and there he squandered his wealth in wild living. That could be the whole story in like four or five sentences. That's pretty much what happens to this kid. He gets the inheritance, he goes to a distant country, and he blows it. Have you ever been to Las Vegas? I have. I've been a couple times. I went last year with a couple of guys from Venture to a, a, a conference uh, for, for church planters up there. And, um, you know, it's crazy to be in Vegas and see what people do. Talk about squandering and wild living. Like, that's, that's, what Vol that's their whole deal. It's like, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I'm like, that's a bad slogan. Like, you need to at least tell somebody where you are. Like, but... Um, <laughs> I mean, you don't know where you're going to get into. You might want to at least wear one of them like Batman trackers or something so people can know what's going on with you. But anyway, so that's in Vegas. And so it was like 10 o'clock at night, and we've been at a conference all day. I had jet lag, and I'm in the elevator going back to the hotel room, which was attached to a casino. And it was funny because it's 10 o'clock. I'm going to bed. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm done. I'm from Wilmington. We don't do this kind of stuff. I'm in bed. I get in the elevator with this guy, and he is lit. Let me just tell you. Like, talk about totally wasted. He's ready to go. And say, I'm ready to go to bed, and he's just getting started. And he gets in the, and he's just chatty, talking about, man, let me tell you about my week. And he's talking about, I got here, and I had a couple hundred bucks. And by Tuesday, I was up, like, I think he said $16,000, $20,000. Um, remember this guy, Justin? And so, like, this guy's just talking it up. And he's like, then I lost it all. Lost it all. Then I got it all back. Then I lost it all. Dude, I'm totally broke. Well, it was Monday night, and if you see me in public, I'm normally wearing something that's got Dallas Cowboys on it. So he wanted to talk football with me. And so he was like, oh, you going to watch the game tonight? I was like, man, I'm, I'm going to bed. And he was like, man, 
I got $50 on the game tonight on 100 to 1 odds of this one part of the game. I don't know what it was. He said, man, I tell you what, if I win, if I win that, I'll be right back on top. And he was so excited, and I couldn't help but be in the elevator and step away because he had really bad breath and be like, man, I feel so sorry for you, man. Because you really believe that if you win this one bet, you'll be back on top. Like Tuesday, you were on top. And then Thursday, you were on top. I don't know what happened to that guy. Uh, part of me hopes that he lost the bet and was homeless for nine months and got his act together and got a job. And I, I don't know. But maybe he did win and maybe he went, I don't know. But Jesus hits it right on the head when he says that he went and he squandered his wealth in wild living. You don't have to go to Las Vegas to find that, do you? I mean, it's right here. It's right here. It's right here in this room. We squander our wealth on wild living. We, we, we get things we don't need. We blow our money on stuff that we don't even want. And it's not even about money. Our wealth is more than what's in our pocketbooks and our wallets. Our wealth is the relationships and the richness of life. And sometimes we just throw it all away. Totally wasted. And that's what the guy in our story does. He hit rock bottom. Let's look what happens next. Jesus says in verse 14, he said, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country. And he began, and he began to be in need. So there's a famine, so when there's a famine in a third world country, it's rough times, okay? So he began to be in need, and he'd already blown all his money. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to, feed, to the field to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this guy has taken his father's wealth, wealth that may have taken an entire lifetime to amass, and he's blown it in a matter of weeks, months, maybe a couple years, gone, wasted. And now he's got a job feeding pigs. And if you know anything about Jewish culture, you know that like pigs, man, they're not kosher, like literally. You just don't, Jews don't do stuff with pigs. They don't eat pigs. They don't associate with pigs. It, it was part of the unclean animal system that they had in their religion. And that's what he does for a living. He is feeding the pigs and he can't even eat better than the pigs. Traditionally, this story has been called the prodigal son. You ever heard that, the prodigal son? And uh, it's, it's very well named because the word prodigal actually means, uh, it, it means to live in excess, or it actually means to be wasteful. So we're calling this series Totally Wasted. This guy has lived in extravagance. And he's taken the lifetime wealth of his father and he's blown it. And not only that, He's hit rock bottom, and now he's all alone. Before we read the rest of the story, there's not much left. I just wonder, have you ever been in this guy's shoes? Have you ever been there? Have you ever hit rock bottom? Rock bottom is deeper for different people. That's fair, right? I mean, it just depends on where you come from. It depends on what you've gotten yourself into. You can hit rock bottom on a lot of different levels. Maybe for you, you got a scholarship to go to college. But then within the first two months of school, you're failing out of your classes. Your opportunity was wasted. It was a full ride, but totally wasted. Maybe you had a great relationship. But you made selfishness and foolishness a priority over taking care of the other person in the relationship. Wasted. Totally wasted. And you hit rock bottom. Maybe you were given a shot at improving on yourself, but you shot yourself in the foot instead because of a bad habit or because of something that you did. Wasted. Maybe you had a chance to get ahead financially and get out of some debt, but you instead decided to buy like a 72-inch flat screen TV, finance it for nine years, and like wasted. 
Like, I don't know what you did, but I think we've all been to a place where we're sitting on the bottom going, oh, man. Can you picture what's happening here? This kid has lost everything that he came from home with. He's lost his money. He's lost his possessions. He's lost his pride. He's lost his self-respect. And when he finds himself like this, he realizes that he had run off to see the world, but the world was a much harder place than he had ever imagined it would be. I think a lot of us realize that once we kind of leave the comfort of home and we go off on our own. We don't all hit rock bottom, but we all kind of get out and go, whoa, man, these bills come every month. Like, they, they just want us to keep paying this thing every time, or they're going to kick me out of my house. Like, it's hard. And he finds the world is a dark and brutal place to live in. And what's interesting is he starts to think about home. And he starts to realize that home was a lot warmer and more inviting than he ever gave it credit for. And he starts to think about a father who had given him everything, and he blew it. Where do you run when you hit rock bottom? Think about that. You call home, you got a best friend you call. Is there a substance that you turn to? A habit? Just a question. Where do you run when you hit rock bottom? This kid makes a tough choice. Let's check out verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So at some point, he snaps out of this fog that he's been in. I've done this. I've looked myself in the mirror and gone, Chris, stop it. Have you ever done that? Sometimes you need to slap yourself in the face. Sometimes you need a really good friend to walk up to you and go, stop it. And, and I wake up, and I'm in the back seat of my, the car of my own life, and idiot Chris is driving. You know? I'm like, where are we going, dude? Hey, this is not what we should be doing. Jesus implies here, he says, I love it, he says, when he came to his senses. What Jesus implies here is there's a certain level of insanity involved in the simple choices we make. Isn't there? Like when we kind of just step back of our own senses and we're just like, I'm just going to do this anyway. And that's what he had done. So he starts rehearsing this speech. He's thinking, you know, maybe my father will invite me back into the house. If I go and I've got this speech just perfect, maybe, just maybe, he'll let me back in. And I want you to understand, he's not expecting to be forgiven. Like, that is not even on his radar. He's just thinking, maybe, at best, I'll be hired back as a farmhand, as a servant. At worst, maybe he'll buy me as a slave. But at least then I'll be back home. At least then I won't be starving while the pigs are eating better than I am. And Jesus is telling this story, and I can see the audience sitting on the edge of their seat. They're starting to squirm a little bit because they know this guy. Because this guy has dis dishonored his family, he's dishonored his home, and, well, he's going to go home? Oh, now, if you've heard this story before, like, you might expect, like, oh, I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. No, no, no. Put yourself in the, the minds of the first century listener. As I've told you, he has already slapped his dad in the face. You are dead to me. I want my money. I'm hitting the road. I'm going to a distant country. I don't even want anything to do with my homeland. And he, he has the audacity to go back home. So you're in the first century crowd, you're listening, and you're squirming like, oh, man, this is going to be good. <laughs> He's going to get the beat down of his life. But what happens astonishes everybody. Let's pick up verse 20. It says, so he got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. At this point, the audience is going, huh? And he ran 
to his son. He threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe I have and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. This is really weird. Like, we wouldn't do this if someone came to our house. Like, get my bathrobe and uh, get a ring and let's go kill, like, a cow. But this is a big deal. It's, a, it's you know, first century. He says, let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead, but he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. And so they began to celebrate. See, the audience would definitely have been expecting a different outcome. But the father completely breaks the mold. We're going to talk about the father next week. In fact, next, next week is all about the father who ran. Okay, so I'm going to kind of, if you'll allow me this grace, I'm just going to skip that part of the story because we're going to talk about it next week. But I want to talk about the son. The son. This son had a speech prepared, and he was ready to just grovel before his father. And he could hardly get a word out edgewise before his dad is wrapping him up with bathrobes. Imagine the shock in his mind. Wait, what? Fatted calf? No. Oh, Father, I deserve so much worse. This story has become one of the Bible's most told stories. It really has. Even people who don't know very much about the Bible, maybe that's you, uh, and I'm curious, I'd be curious, like if you don't know much about the Bible, but you've also heard this story. Because many people who don't even know much about the Bible have heard this story. And I think there's a very good reason for that. I think it's because we can all relate with the prodigal son. We have all had a perfectly good opportunity that we've wasted, particularly as it comes to God. As Jesus is telling this story, he's basically telling it as a metaphor of a bigger picture because he's telling it, like I said, in a series of stories about things that were lost and then were found. And in this particular story, we are the son and God is the father. This story is seen throughout the history of man. You look at the very first people, Adam and Eve. How did their story start? They were given everything on a silver platter, but it wasn't enough. They still needed to run away and find out something else, right? And then they had to deal with the consequences. In fact, after they were caught, they were totally wasted, and they ran. They ran from the consequences. They didn't want to do it. They hid from God. And the story repeats itself generation after generation after generation into our modern days. And here's the thing. This is why this, this, is why this relates to us. Because our sin, the things that we do to run away from God, the choices we make to leave home, those are the very things that separate us from God. Our choice to want to run from home is a choice that separates us from God. And I think that we all can relate with this. Because the, the world has like this, this beautiful song that it plays. Especially when you're about 16 years old. And about 25 years old. And then later again when you're about 45 years old. <laughs> this beautiful song, and it's like, come check out what we have out here. It's so awesome. And this beautiful song comes in like a voice in our head. And we hear it and we're like, man, that does sound pretty good. That does sound pretty good. In fact, it starts to take over our mind, and the next thing we know, it is louder than God's voice in our life. And if you didn't have the, the fortune of growing up in a home that taught you a lot about God, maybe you never even really heard the voice of God in your life. And so in that moment, we just go, well, why wouldn't I leave and go and explore? In fact, that's kind of the theme of our culture, that every person deserves the opportunity to go up and completely screw up their life for about 10 years. Everybody deserves that chance, right? What a stupid idea. 
You wouldn't wish your worst experiences on your worst enemy, yet we feel like as a culture we need to give our kids the opportunity to completely ruin their lives. But that's the culture we live in. The song is sung and we hear it and it's beautiful and we go and check it out. But what we find out is that the promises that, 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 that they sing to us are lies. The beauty that they promise is ugly. The life that they promise turns out to be death. The freedom ends up as slavery. And the entertainment that we want to enjoy eventually becomes enslavement. And we learn, just as the prodigal son did, that these voices promised us lies. And we find ourselves sitting in the mud, wishing that we could eat what the pigs were eating. Now, for us, it's not always that dramatic. Uh, sometimes it's just, it's just a few weeks of bad decisions. Sometimes it's a bad relationship. Sometimes it's the decision to, I don't know, cheat at work and you get fired or whatever. Like, we, we all have, like, levels of that. So this series is going to hit us all on a lot of different levels depending on where you've been in life. But I think we can all look back into our past, possibly even to our present, and go, yeah, I know exactly what that kid must have felt like. This leaving home. This rejection of the Father and all that he stands for, it's called sin. Sin is when I choose to go out on my own and leave God behind. Paul is a writer in the Bible. He's the greatest missionary of the early church, and he says in Romans 3.23, this is what he says about this whole situation. He says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He just kind of puts it out there, calls it like it is. So you're not the only one. I'm not the only one. It's not even just like 10% or, or 60% of society have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul estimates that about approximately more or less everyone has experienced this. And so Paul says later, later in the same letter, he says, the wages of sin is death, the separation from God. So sin, spiritually leaving God, kills you spiritually. And the consequences in this life may be that you end up feeding pigs in the mud. And we have to, you know, whatever, eat humble pie and live in, in a bad situation for a little while. And there are consequences in this life. But if we can't get out of that rut, sin is serious enough that it separates you from God eternally, spiritually. It's a big deal. It's serious. Our souls live on beyond our physical life. And that life beyond this physical life without God is unbearable. And so that's why Jesus constantly talks about this idea. He says, you know, you have got to turn away from what the world is telling you to do. This is the word Jesus uses all the time. You know what? It's repentance. It's kind of a churchy word, but it's a really, really good word. You know what repentance is? Some people uh, kind of have a bad idea of repentance. This is what it is. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of action. Look at that. Write it down. Think about it. It's a change of heart. Something has affected me so deeply that I'm going to change what I'm doing. I love that in the story it says, this guy, leave that up there for a few minutes. This guy came to his senses. Jesus says, and when he came to his senses, then he goes back home. There is a degree of insanity involved in our sin and our bad decisions. And when we find ourselves totally wasted. But if this guy had simply said, you know what, I came to my senses, this is a bad idea. Eh, nah, I'm just going to keep doing this. Nothing would have changed. We come to our senses briefly all the time. Repentance is not just coming out of the fog. Repentance is choosing to take some action. Repentance is saying, I'm headed in this direction towards selfishness and what I want and away from God. I'm heading in this direction. Repentance says, I've had a change of heart. 
It's going to lead to a change in action. And I'm now going to begin heading this way, towards God and truth and light and love. It's a change in heart that leads to a change in action. Repentance is going home. Maybe you've come to the realization that you've been heading the wrong way. Maybe it's because you've hit rock bottom and you're all alone. Or maybe it's just because you've got a good friend who's been saying, hey, listen, you should come check out some church, check out some God, check out some Jesus, see what this whole thing's all about. And maybe as you're doing that, you're sitting there going, yeah, I might be headed in the wrong direction. You're in the right place. This community, this family is a place where you can say, I, I want to turn my life around. It might take a while, but i got to change some things. And you're in good company. I love King David. He's one of my favorite figures from the Bible. He's this king of the nation of Israel, and he knows all about being totally wasted. Completely. Like he completely understands what it means to be broken and ruin things. And this is what he writes in Psalm 34. He says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Maybe you need to hear that. If you're feeling crushed, if you're feeling broken, if you're feeling wasted, God is closer to you now than ever before. Why? It's because when we hit rock bottom, we can start to listen a little better to who, what God has to say. When we're up on Mount Everest of our life and we're doing whatever we want to do, God's like, hey, I, stop, stop, okay, when you fall off the cliff, come get me. Like, not that he walks away, but he's just like, listen, you're not listening to me. But David said, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and so maybe that's you. Maybe you're not brokenhearted, maybe you're just broken circumstanced. God is nearer to you now than he could ever be. It's because you are now willing to accept his love, his grace, and his help, you might be willing to come home. And so I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years or this is your first day in church. Coming to your senses can be a daily activity. Like every day, I got to wake up. Every day I need to think about what God wants me to do with my life. And maybe it's time you started a journey home. Put the old you behind you. Repent. Walk away from it. Walk towards something fresh and new. Come home. We've only just begun this series on Totally Wasted, on the prodigal son. Next week we're going to talk about the father. We're talking about uh, the brother, too, that's there. Because he said he had two sons. And it's kind of like, well, what's the other brother been doing all this time? We're going to check in on their lives. And, and it's going to be cool just seeing this story play out over the next two weeks. But I want to leave you with this kind of idea. Um, so I wrecked my car during Hurricane Earl. Remember that? Told at the beginning. Wrecked my car. And so I'd barely had it for two hours, and I get out of the car. The hood is all bent up. There's like steam coming off of the engine because it's still raining. The windshield was busted. The, uh, the passenger side axle was completely broken. Like the wheel was just like, I'm propped up on this oak tree. And I'm angry. I'm like, Argh! and I just punched my windshield, which I later regretted. Because it hurt really bad. But I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? And there was only one thought going through my mind. I'm a junior in high school. You know what my thought was? How am I going to tell my dad? And I'll, there's, this, there's this guy that comes running across the street. This older guy. I don't have any idea how old he was. But he was probably old enough to be my granddad. He comes running across the street. And he's like, buddy, you okay? You okay? And once he kind of got the sense that I was okay, I'll never forget what he said next. He said, <laughs> kind of laughed under his breath. He said, <laughs> Don't worry, buddy. You'll be all right. I've, had, I've totaled five cars in my life. I'm looking at him like, dude, you are not helping me out right now. I, what, thanks a lot. But then he goes, 
let, let's go inside. Let's call your parents. Can we call, can we call your dad? I was like, oh, yeah. So we go inside, and we call my dad, because this is before everyone had an iPhone glued to their face. We had to go to his house and, like, call my dad. And uh, my dad answers the phone, and I'll never forget what he said. Actually, first, what he said was, wait, what? Now? Like, you just left home a few minutes ago. Like, you, you did, is this, is this a joke? This is a joke, right? Seriously? And then he took a deep breath, and I got a good dad. And he goes, okay, I'm just, I'm just glad you're okay. Don't worry, we'll figure this out. I'm glad you called me. I'll be there in a minute. Listen, listen, listen. God isn't expecting you to be perfect. In fact, he knows that you are going to get totally wasted. But what he wants you to do is turn around, pick up the phone, and call home. So he can say, all right, okay. He might, he might laugh a little bit under his breath and go, seriously, again? Okay. But then you know what he says? He says it in his word time and time again. He says, I love you. We're going to get through this. I'm just glad you called me. Let's pray. God, we love you, and we thank you for your forgiveness and your grace. And as we dig into the story of this guy who, who wasted a good portion of his life, um, I pray that we can learn more about your love and about your grace. Um, the fact that you will forgiveness give us is not a free pass to continue wrecking ourselves. But it is comforting when we know we've made mistakes. You gotta pray over the course of the next couple weeks that those of us in this room, those of us who will be joining us over the next few weeks will get a picture of what your love is like. That do, you do want us to come to our senses and you are angry when we make bad choices. You are willing to pick up the phone and you're willing to love us through it. God, thank you for our family here at Venture Church and thank you for what you offer uh, every day. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.